All right, let's turn to the book of Titus, chapter 1, verses 7 through 9 tonight. Man, the title of the challenge and what God put on my heart was biblical manhood. The challenge, looking at these qualities and characteristics. Back when I was 19 years old, how many of you guys remember U.S. Steel? U.S. Steel, yeah. So I'm dating myself. That was about 20 years ago. When I was 19, uh, I worked there. I was, I was the youngest person working at this, this factory where Honda is now. Man, this place was nuts. It was real life, real men, crusty, redneck, I mean, like tough guys that came from different states to come and do the steel mill here in Torrance. And um, I remember I, I was on this team and uh, in the area that we worked, and um, one of the guys that was a part, he was, he was a full-blood Indian. I can't remember what kind he was, but this dude had the ponytail, the headband, and he was crazy, so that's why we connected, because he was crazy. But he would, he would, he would walk through the, uh, the plant. I mean, he would do his little Indian war hoop, like, you know, like a, a Cherokee Indian would or whatever, and, um, and they, we called him Chief. That was his name. His name was Chief. That was his name, period, Chief. His wife called him Chief. People called him Chief and everything. Why I bring all this up was that we would sit in the, uh, the, um, the, the break lunch shack inside the big, huge complex over there, and um, he, would, he would spew out his philosophy on life and everything. So I'm a 19-year-old kid. He's about 30, I guess. And, of course, he talked about what, it, you know, a man is this and a man is this, and he talked about, you know what? And the main thing I remember about this guy was he would always say, you know what, it's, it's always good to have a little thing on the side because that just keeps proving to yourself what kind of man you are. Because every man needs something on the side. And he's married and everything. Besides being a cusser, a drinker, you had to be a drinker, you had to be a womanizer. So none of that was like a secret to me. But that reinforced this mentality that really was in my mind that, you know what? This is what a man does. And I got married when I was 23. And guess what? That's what this man did. Just like many of you did. And what the world still does today. And this is what the world speaks of as being a man. And, and the Lord challenged me because I looked at these, these qualities that, that Paul talked about, not only in Titus, but in Timothy. Now, these qualities, really, it says an elder or bishop, this is what must be blameless in the start there. But for me, this is what the quality should be for every man of God, every woman of God. This should be my desire. So it doesn't just have to do with being an elder or someone in leadership. It's, it's a Christian man. And yet you look at these qualities, you look at this, this list here, diametrically opposed to what the description of a man is in any corporation, any boardroom, any business, barring a few out there in America, and especially where you all work. Now, I'm blessed to work in a place where this truly is the qualities of many, most of the people who work here with a desire but where you're at, where you work, you're, you're, you're faced with, and this is a challenge, you're faced with, here's what a man, how he acts, and how he acts where you work. And then you see that, and then sometimes you begin to emulate that, and you take that stuff home. Am I right? The language that you hear at the, the job, somehow it slips when you come home, slips at church. Man, and... and Men in this, in this world, they pride themselves on really stuff that is completely opposite. 
opposite of what we're speaking of here. And we look at this thing, as we talked last week about these, these challenges, these, these qualities, um, we remember that, that Paul had commanded Titus. He said, I want you now to set things in order, get things straight, get the church working right, and appoint elders and with these qualities. And basically, when you appointed these elders, you would bring these guys in that could actually teach and, and speak the truth. A lot of the things in the church were going to be cleaned up. And Paul reminds Titus, he leaves him there on the island, man, get it going, get it going. And in our time together, we focused on the elder. And remember the elder, we talked about it beginning at the house last week. Because this elder, this man, he was blameless one, he was a one-woman man, and he was a leading man, remember? And our passage tonight, though, Paul goes even deeper. And I'm going to read to you the list of, of these qualifications that really are in, in all of Paul's teachings, 23 of them. And uh, you can actually get that list back on the table as well. But these things here that he goes so deep, it's like, man, the challenge. Because see, all those things that we're talking about fly in the face of what we call modern day masculinity. And who are you as a man? How do you, how do you operate as a man in this world as a Christian? How does that work? Because oftentimes we read this stuff, we look at that, and, and those characteristics, if we look at that, really, we think of Jesus. He, had, he exhibited all those, of course. And what was, what's the hallmark characteristic of Jesus? Humility. Humility. How does a humble man operate and live in a corporate work environment in this world where humility is not respected? Humility is looked upon, really, there's a lot of false humility out there. I believe, you know, you know that. This guy that acts like they're humble, but they're not. It, it's, it's how do you operate? They look at that as a weakness, not as a strength. The humble man isn't, isn't respected. I remember working, in, and I'm looking at Jeff because he worked in the same, he worked for Alpha Beta, I think pretty much the same time I did there. And I'll tell you what, and, and of course, this is not unique to this, corp, this industry, the grocery industry, but man, there were guys in there they prided themselves on how angry they could be, on how the reputation that they had, especially those who were district managers. And, and in this little microcosm of life, whatever, I mean, nothing happened outside. They thought, they thought that there's no world outside Alpha Beta. I'll tell you that much right now. That's how the mentality was there. And these district managers come walking in the stores. And I'm the store manager and, and a lot of these store managers, they were demigods. It was like, you know what? This is my store. I'm the boss. You mess with me. I'll take you out. Not only I'll take you out, I'll fire you. I'll scream and yell you, cuss at you, and all these kind of things. Well, the district managers were even worse. I mean, when they hit the door, I'm telling you what, people were falling all over themselves. Now, now did you ever work for Charlie Saliba? Yeah. Charlie Saliba was before Dave Hansen. This guy, they called him Chino Charlie because he lived in Chino. This guy, I'm telling you what, he, he, he loved, I mean, he would spit and scream and yell. And, and I mean, he had the ability to just rapidly rip you to shreds, cussing you upside one down the other, screaming, yelling, cha, 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 cha. and basically everybody just kind of stand back. All right, just like, let him finish. I mean, oh my gosh, the guy's going crazy. Out of control. And then, then you would see that kind of, mentality at work and the people were respected for that and then you would kind of like think well you know that's the way i need to act when i get on home too woman 
It's my way or the highway. I'm the boss around here. You work for me. That doesn't go too far when it gets home. But even it's the way they do, we treat their kids as well. I know kids who had dads as store managers who acted that way, and these kids messed up because of the way their dad acted. Man. And yet all that is contrary to this blameless man who we want to represent, who, who um, wants to look like Jesus. And there's the incredible challenge to exhibit these biblical qualities of manhood in your workplaces, in your homes, with your families and your neighbors. What does that look like? How do we balance this out? And of course, as I've been studying this, and I shared this with the leadership before we met, that you know what you teach, God takes you through it. I'm going to tell you what. I have never been so <laughs> challenged. And there's been situations and circumstances that I told the guys, you know what, I'm not going to use them as illustrations. You know why? I'm embarrassed to. Man, tell you what, this whole idea of being blameless. And when you look at what Christ is calling us to do, you guys, it takes a real man to walk as Jesus. I'm telling you right now, you know this. I mean, any dummy can go down the road of sin and debauchery, but to, to walk as a blameless man in a world, in a, in a place where the world ignites your flesh, I mean, anywhere you turn, everywhere you go, whatever you're doing, the flesh is being tempted. How, how do you do that? It takes a man, it takes a real man to walk and, and, and follow these characteristics. So tonight, the challenge, we're going to look at these qualifications, allowing God to speak and minister to our hearts, because he wants to make changes, guys. He wants us to change. He wants us to come in line, because remember, we talked last week, the standard has been set by Jesus. You guys heard about the, uh, the new world record for the marathon, right? I mean, under two minutes. I read an, that, that dude averaging 14 miles an hour. Two hours, yeah. 14 miles an hour. That's a lightning. That, that'd, be, that'd be Superman. <laughs> under t- 14 miles an hour average, 435 an hour, a minute. Mile, oh, my. Gosh, that's crazy. Anyhow, with all that being said, what an elder is not, verse 7. What an elder is, verse 8. And what an elder does, verse 9. And remember, guys, there's no condemnation here. Because remember, when God speaks and ministers to us, even in his correction, it's coming from a position of love, mercy, and grace. All through Scripture, you cannot get beyond that. Even when God dealt severely with people and when he deals with me and you. Love, mercy, and grace. Amen? So number one, what an elder is not. Let's read this starting with verse five and we'll end at verse nine and we'll jump into number one. For this reason I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, remember what that was all about, having faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination, For a bishop or an overseer, and we're going to use the word elder there, episkopos, must be a blameless man as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word. Right here, baby, holding fast, anchored, 
as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So number one, what an elder is not. And in the context of this word steward, basically the steward means an overseer manager, and it's one who watches over and, and manages the affairs or belongings of another. And of course, we are stewards of God, of his church, his work, and his sheep. And his sheep, in a lot of your guys' situations, is your family. All right? Now, in this idea of, of the stewardship, it includes exhibiting the characteristics that are an example of the one we are a steward for. We're, we're in a sense, we're ambassadors. And so Paul repeats the challenge to be blameless. Of course, that's the umbrella qualification. It means above reproach. Nobody can bring a charge against you, so some grievous sin. So the blameless elder, what he is not one, an elder is not self-willed. This speaks of an arrogant self-interest that asserts its own will with utter disregard for how it might affect others. It's like, I'm, I'm the center of my universe and nothing else matters outside. And a, and a man who commits adultery, you guys, is a perfect example of a man who is self-willed. Care less about what it does to his wife, care less what it does to his kids and his family. And, and this is putting self-will above the will of God. So an elder is not self-willed, though. Secondly, an elder is not quick-tempered, short-fused, easily angered, provoked, um, or, or, he, or he has a propensity towards anger, that, that, he's, that, he, that he can get lit up real quick, real easy. Now, interesting, when, as I was thinking about this, the, the person who popped in my mind, I kid you not, when I thought about this as a description, is that, that old coach, Woody Hayes, from... Ohio State. Now, you all remember the punch. I'm dating most of, well, most of you guys know about this, but some of you don't. 1978, Gator Bowl, Clemson, Ohio State. The, the score is, is 15 to 17, whatever, and Ohio State's marching down. Woody's 65 years old, and quarterback drops back, throws a pass. Charlie Baum, I think, no, Bowman, Charlie Bowman, um, intercepts it, runs to the sideline, gets tackled. Basically, time's going to run out. Clemson's going to win. And then you see what happens. The kid gets up off the ground, and there's old Woody Hayes. Grabs his shirt, pulls him around, and just punches him in the throat. Right on camera. I mean, as clear as day. Just cocks the kid in the throat. And the sad thing about it is, when you read the history of Woody Hayes, I mean... There probably wasn't a single player or a coach that he worked with that he didn't punch. And people expected it. They accepted it. Basically, the, the key was that you would always stand to his left because he was left-handed, and, and if he was going to rear back, you, could, you were prepared for it. Now, is that pathetic or what? And yet, the man was worshipped, revered. Oh, one of the greatest coaches. But sad to say, the very next day, guess who lost his job? Bam, out the door. See, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about this person who is so easily angered, provoked. And, and you see this a lot in the college-level sports where these, you know, Bobby Knight. Hello. I mean, and that guy was like, oh, my gosh, the greatest coach in the world. Now he's got a little bit of an anger problem. But, yeah, we, we can look crazy. Anyhow, number three, 
Number two, elder is not quick-tempered. Number three, an elder is not given to wine. Huh. So, of course, this idea is someone who is a drinker, a drunker, addicted to alcohol. Now, understand that we know that culturally they drink. They drink wine. Why? Because of the water. But we understand also that this wine, the, the alcohol content was barely there, like grape juice type of a thing. So the idea here is that, that someone who would go way beyond this, they would drink way more than they're supposed to, or they would go towards harder alcoholic drinks. And so this, of course, for us, is uh, uh, elders not given to wine. We at South Bay, we go farther than that. Jeff has the statement and what we believe in. Those of us on staff, you know what? It's zero tolerance policy, basically. And it's not some kind of legalistic deal. You know what? Why, why even open the crazy door? I mean, how many of you out there struggle with alcohol before you were saved? Being honest. I bet there's more of you in this room. <laughs> You're not being honest. The idea is, for me, why even crack the door to the devil one, one bit? I struggle with alcohol. I'm telling you what, I know. I mean, anything, I'm in, I'm in trouble. And so for us here at staff, we've agreed. Even those in leadership, this is for leadership as well. We give it out to you guys. Man, and not only do we not want to open the door for the devil, we don't want to cause someone else to stumble. How many of you guys would be bummed if you saw me, I'll say, at the, uh, the local kitchen there in downtown Torrance? Yeah, I'm having dinner, but I'm sitting at the bar, and, and what I'm doing, I'm sucking back on the corona. I, I found my little, whatever they call that, my little corner or my little space, whatever. No, you would be stumbled by it. No way. Remember years ago, um, our boys went to First Lutheran, and uh, that First Lutheran, their ECLA um, part, they're very liberal. And so we're at this function, whatever, and we ended up having to sit at the table with the, the youth pastor. I remember this. And our kids were, you know, in that age group or whatever. And uh, so we're talking, we're kind of listening, and, and it's a lot of Lutherans there, and bless their hearts, but uh, they're talking about Lent and everything and, you know, what they're going to give up for Lent. And so bless this kid's heart. He says, you know what I'm giving up for Lent? I'm giving up beer drinking for Lent. And he was proud as can be. And I'm thinking to myself, you knucklehead. What kind of example is that? Youth pastor that's, that's a beer drinking youth pastor. An elder is not given to wine. Number four, an elder is not violent. He's one who does not resort to fist fighting or verbal abuse. And in culturally, back in those days, it, it seemed that um, there were a lot of disputes that were resolved by, all right, let's take it outside. Maybe even like the old dueling days or the, the sword fighting when people would have differences. Or they would use sticks or they would throw rocks. Or, or they would go to the, the verbal abuse of cussing each other out. So that elder is not violent like that. And also an elder is not greedy for money. So, so important. This is one who wants the position for what he can gain monetarily by means of dishonesty. And unfortunately, a lot of people in the church as a whole around the world have figured out, you know what? You can make some good money doing this deal. Pretty easily, as a matter of fact, just have a little bit of gift of the gab, a little bit of charisma, be able to have a little southern drawl there going on, and man, you just melt them old ladies' hearts, and they just be giving, 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 giving. 
And of course, we know that's the motive behind the prosperity doctrine, just to fleece the flock. So simply put, money is not the elder's God. Money shouldn't be the Christian man's God because there can only be one God. Jesus said you cannot serve what? Mammon and who else? Either you'll love one or you'll hate the other. And think about it for a minute, though, because this is a tough one. How much of your thoughts are directed to or by money on any given day? Because what you think most of is your God. Don't get me wrong. We got to think about it. We got to work with it. We got to deal with it. But if I'm sitting around, man, counting beans, counting beans, counting beans, and just get, oh, I got to get more beans, more beans, I'm in trouble. Because ultimately, we know the love of it is what? The roots of what? And yet in the world, in the world we live in, there is great respect given to the rich man. To that man who's the millionaire, the billionaire, whatever. People worship those people. They, oh, my gosh. Whoa, self-made man. He's all, you know, blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And we know it is the God of the world. So... What the elder is not. Now, number two, verse eight, what the elder is, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled. Six qualifications or characteristics that should be exhibited by every elder. Of course, these are all pretty self-explanatory. An elder is hospitable, a person who gives practical help to anyone whether friend or stranger, someone who is in need, believer or unbeliever, in-law or outlaw, it don't matter. This speaks of time and resources or encouragement, so this person is, is, is giving, even as Jesus, of course, was giving. An elder also is a lover of what is good. It speaks of a general disposition of one who rejoices over good things as opposed to evil or bad. And, and people can view this person as, it's a, it's, a, it's a good person. He's a good man. He's, he's involved in good things. Number three, though, an elder is sober-minded, sensible, prudent, doesn't overact. He, he's cool under pressure and, and isn't easily moved, doesn't go crazy over things. Remember back when Y2K hit the scene back in 2000 when people were just going off the deep end? That wasn't, that wasn't a, a sober-minded person. It was like, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. Everything's going to fall apart. We're all dead. Don't get in the plane. Whatever. Don't. Don't. Hold your breath. Tick, tick, tick. I remember we were here at the church that night. Anybody here that night? 2000? Gee, money. Where are all you guys at? You were there, Bob, weren't you? Yeah. Ben was there. Man, they were a tick, tick. I mean, of course, the whole talk was I mean, the lights are going to go out. The world's going to go black. Everything's going to fall. You know, just. All right, let's go to bed. All's good. <laughs> Sober-minded. Also, number four, an elder is just. means he is proper, he's right, and fitting in his dealings with men um, and understanding of what is just and equitable. But also, an elder is holy. Small h, but I put holy because everything else is capitalized. He is devout and reverent in his behavior as a representative of God. He's not perfect, 
He's not sinless. And as Pastor Jeff talks about it, he just sins less. Tries to sin less. A reverence there. But also, number six, an elder is self-controlled. Lives a righteous life outside because he submits to the Holy Spirit's control on the inside. And Jeff just talked about this on Sunday. Walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh. So that's what an elder is. And then lastly, number three, verse nine, what an elder does. Verse nine, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Paul says, holding fast. And of course, the theme for this year's men's study, right there we got it. Holding fast means to strongly cling or adhere to something or someone. In this case, it's the elder who clings to the word of God with fervent devotion. And of course, this means to me that this elder has become a man of the word. Number one, an elder reads the word. That means there is consistent daily devotions, you guys. Daily devotions. There's, there's constant meditating all day on the word, as David said. So you have your devotions in the morning, then you take what you read in the morning, and you, you chew on that, you meditate upon that, you, you think back upon what you read for the day, meditating all day, and then continually, so there's consistent, constant, continual for the rest of your life. All this speaks about an intake of the word. And this is what we call devotions, of course. And if anybody that is here, you're kind of unsure what that is, talk to your group leader tonight. Bring it up in your group. What is, what's this thing? Devotions. Pastor, I'll be talking about devotions. Because I'm telling you, there was, when I first got saved, someone asked me to, to give a devotion. It's like, what is a devotion? What's, what's devotions? And so it was explained to me. Every man, every day, brother. So the elder reads the word to an elder believes the word as he has been taught. So there was discipleship taking place, and there's discipleship taking place, and right now is discipleship. You guys remember I said, your elders in training. He believes, though, what he has been taught, and in this case, of course, it was by the apostles, by those who, who had been brought up, those who had been taught. And the crazy thing you think about it is, what we have in our hands, imagine trying to do this all by here. And now, of course, I'm sure they wrote things down. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, letters and such were written. But they didn't, you know, you couldn't just go into the local synagogue, grab the Torah and everything, walk out and go, I'm going to go have a Bible study down the street. You'd be, you'd be shot dead. I mean, the Word of God was not available like it is today. Thank God it is, though. And so the apostles were teaching, but he's the one who holds fast to this teaching, assured that it is the truth of the gospel. He believes it. And of course, that, that goes to this whole idea from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 7. Turn one page to the left, if you have the same Bible as I do. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. How's it go? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for what? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be equipped, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's all right here, guys. 
Everything you need to believe is right here. And you hold fast to this. So he reads the word, he believes the word. Thirdly, an elder exhorts from the word. By sound doctrine, he says. And of course, this is proper biblical instruction. And this word exhorts, of course, means that he's able to encourage believers. By his ability to teach. And sometimes all it is is a simple scripture given to a brother to help them, to give them hope, to give them encouragement. doesn't have to be like, oh, I mean, I got to teach you. I'll just share God's word with somebody. So an elder exhorts from the word, but number four, an elder convicts from the word, of course, again, by sound doctrine, and it means to convince someone who's off track. They've gotten off track. They're, they're picking up on some, some stuff out in the fringes there, some pretty crazy stuff means to convince someone who is off track, who's not holding fast to the teachings of Paul and the apostles, especially regarding the gospel. We'll get into this next week about what some of these Judaizers were doing, what they were saying. So this is what an elder does. So lastly, application factor for us tonight. Biblical manhood versus worldly manhood. What's this look like? And this is where you have to make the choice course, to live like the world lives or live blameless according to the qualifications or characteristics of an elder. Now, looking at this list from Timothy as well, we have 23 things that are here. This, and I wrote down qualifications for an elder, but characteristics of biblical manhood. What is, what, how does a man operate in this world as a Christian? What are the characteristics? An elder or overseer must be blameless, we said. Husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his house well, not a novice or a novice, not a youngster in the word. Someone who's, who's we've got to give you some time. Must have a good testimony among those who are outside. Not self-willed like we talked tonight, not quick temper, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, just, holy, self-controlled. Biblical qualifications there. So in that, though, how do we do this? How do, how do we walk blameless? Anybody walking blameless today? Some of you are doing pretty good, I'm sure, in certain areas, you know, no, no doubt and everything. But how we do this, Galatians 2.20 is how we do it, guys. I have been crucified with Christ. Got to remember that. It is no longer I who live. See, when we got saved, we died. The person I was before Christ is dead. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, we're to reckon, verse 12, I think it is, to reckon the old man dead. The man of this world that 19-year-old kid at U.S. Still, he doesn't exist anymore. i got to remind myself of that. I've died with Christ. And here's the key, though. But Christ lives in me. Isn't that crazy to think? Christ lives in you. Christ lives in you. Say that to yourself. And, of course, this means that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And as I surrender each day and live this crucified life, denying my flesh... The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This means that the new man that I am now, the blameless man, 
lives by faith, believing that God will enable him to live this life for Jesus. God will enable you. God has promised. He has given us the Holy Spirit. Of course, the challenge is whether I'm going to choose to surrender to that Holy Spirit when the flesh wants to rear its ugly head and I want to say this and I want to do this and I want to look this and I want to act this way or do I deny that flesh and surrender to the Holy Spirit of God even while living in this body on earth because I know that he loves me. Remember in this world where everything around us is just desiring to light your flesh on fire. Just like that. That's how we do it. And the new man that I am, that blameless man, he has to put to death the things of the flesh. Turn six pages to the left. Passage in Colossians, it's great. And it's a good reminder. Chapter three of Colossians. If then you were raised with Christ, if you've been born again, if you have gone from death to life. Seek those things which are above where Christ is. Sit in the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. Here it is. For you died. For you died. And your life is hidden with Christ. The life that you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God who, who gave himself for you. So you're living this life in Christ. And when Christ, who is our life, appears then you will also appear with him in glory. So that's the reward for all this. You're going to heaven. You have the inheritance. And here it is. Therefore, the blameless elder, the man who desires to walk in Christ, put to death your members which are on the earth, your flesh. And this is a daily, constant process of walking in the Spirit, recognizing your flesh will jump at anything you let it. Anything. You, you give your flesh an inch, it'll take a mile. So we put this flesh to death, which are fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Reverse that. The man of the world looks at that and goes, Pray, that's it. I'm, yeah, I'm, that's, that's me right there. That's, that's the things that I'm going after. That's what Hollywood talks about. But because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. There will be a price to pay, and there's consequences, as we all know, for sin, in which you yourselves once walked. Remember, guys, this is a past in which you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off, here again, more of the things. Put off these things, anger, wrath, Malice, blasphemy, filthy language. That wasn't on this list, was it? Hmm. But a holy man, a just man, a self-controlled man, a gentle man, those guys aren't going to be using the language of the world. It's a tough one. Especially when you work where guys are talking in every other word. And, and you have to, you got to ask God to cleanse your mind. Cleanse your heart from that stuff. I mean, you know, how many of you have tried walking up and told the boss, hey, boss, could you, could you tell the guys to quit talking that way? <laughs> and there wouldn't be anything wrong with it because in the workplace today, that's called harassment, right? You're not supposed to work in an environment where 
the language is just terrible, and yet that's exactly what they do. So you got to watch even the stuff that's going in so the stuff doesn't come out. Filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and you have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. The blameless man puts to death. And number three, guys, the church needs men of God. Now, here's, here's where we're going to get. It doesn't need Don Knotts kind of guys, and it doesn't need John Wayne kind of guys. We, there's, there's, a, there's a middle ground that all of us as men of God have to find out for each and every one of us. In light of these qualifications, in light of what this huge list, because the problem is, what I see is many in Christianity, as you become saved, you, you lose your identity of who you were. And, and speaking how I did in the past, I'm sure many of you acted just like, I acted just like, when I was a store manager, hello, before I was saved, kicking teeth and taking names, imitating those who I saw were successful. Man, if that, that's working, that's working. Guess what? You know what? Scaring people half to death, man. Threatening to fire them. I'll take you out in the back dock right now. I mean, and nobody looking. My DM will back me up on this. I mean, that's that's it. So, so you, you got to find this place. You got to find your identity in Christ, because you want to be a confident man. You want to be a strong man. But you got to be a strong man, because. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Not my might, not your might, his might. But I'm still supposed to be strong, confident in who I am in Christ, but not coming across in such a way that's, that's displeasing to the Lord. Follow where I'm going with this? It's a challenge for you guys. And each person's personality and temperament is unique to who you are, but you've got to find that place because we don't want Don Knotts. Because a lot of people think of Christians. What do they think of them? Mr. Rogers kind of guys, you know, and bless Mr. Rogers' hearts. But that's not me. But then John Wayne, oh, my gosh, talk about a In real life, he did those things that he did in the movies. That's who he was. See, remember, Jesus was meek, right? But he was not weak. And, and, and Jesus, could, he could bring it. Withstanding the Pharisees to his face, but there wasn't sin involved. There was a strength there. There was the ability to be under self-control, but to get his point across. And working where you work and living the way you live, to be that man with your family that your wife needs, your kids needs, that our church needs, that in your workplace, that people look to you and say, I can respect this guy. You know what? He doesn't talk like that. He doesn't act like that. He's not doing these things. And yet he's, there's still a strength about him that people admire, that they see. But not an arrogance, not a self-willed kind of guy. Man, Jesus was meek but not weak. But really, he was a man's man. See, he was a man's man, but he never had to prove that he was a man. That's the challenge because oftentimes, well, I got to prove it. I gotta, you know, as a kid, you know, you're growing up, you're doing this and that. You got to prove it. And of course, how many of us got in trouble trying to prove that we were the men of the world? 
How many divorces out there? How many lives shattered? How many families destroyed? Because, well, I'm sorry, honey. I was just doing what chief told me to do, what chief taught me to do. Going back to my buddy at U.S. Steel. Man, Jesus demonstrated that he was a man by his obedience to his Father in heaven. And that's a challenge, guys. Biblical manhood. Becoming those elders that our families and our churches need. Finding that, that middle ground. Finding who you are. The real man that's in Christ living in a world that's going to hell. Some way, somehow, guys. And God will help us figure it out. Amen? By his word. Amen. Let's stand. Let's thank the Lord. Father, we praise you. We thank you for your word. And I pray for great discussion within the groups. I pray, Lord, that you've ministered, that you've spoken. And Lord, again, we thank you that, God, we aren't who we used to be, and yet we're not who we're going to be. Because, God, you are working in and through us, Lord, by your spirit, these things out in our lives. And so, Lord, again, praying that you would speak and minister, that, that even as we ponder and meditate, even looking at these qualifications in Titus and in First uh, Timothy chapter 3, Lord, that we would just line ourselves up. How am I doing? How am I doing here? What's going on here in my life? Lord, and that you would make us those men of God, those blameless men, those men that exhibit biblical manhood that flies in the face of a crazy, out-of-control world, Lord. So bless them, Lord, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.